The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Our government is shifting the focus, changing the very balance of past practices in Canada because we believe that in matters of criminal justice, particularly those involving children, the rights of victims and their families and not the rights of criminals must come first. There's your Prime Minister, and that's the way we'll lead off the Culture War segment today. As uh, we've already addressed, this sex offender registry would be accessible to all members of the public and not just law enforcement authorities. Uh, Joining us to help in this regard and on uh, several other points that are pertinent for uh, understanding where our culture is headed, Dr. Scott Mass, an associate pastor at the Westminster Chapel here in Toronto. Scott, good to have you back. Good morning. Good morning, John. And Justin Trottier, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Justin, good morning to you. Good morning to both of you. Yeah. All right. Well, you know the idea that uh, folks on the sex offender registry, primarily those who have uh, committed these sexual offenses against children, which is, I guess, by definition what the registry is about, uh, would have their names readily accessible and available to the public at large in general, as it is in the States, I might point out, where you can even see, you know, the mug shots and uh, get the name, the city, uh, the zip code of these these offenders. They're fairly transparent in the U.S. of A., but here in Canada, I guess, uh, citing privacy issues where only uh, law enforcement has uh, heretofore been aware of who's on the list, uh, this would now be for public knowledge to deter, I guess, uh, some of these people from being sex tourists and exploiting vulnerable children. Abroad, but also at home, uh, Scott Masson, can you condone this? Do you support this initiative the Harper government's bringing in with the throne speech come the fall? I have sympathy with the intention to be uh, harsher on this. Uh, however, I, I, the measure sounds to me like it will encourage vigilantism and, I, and lawlessness, and I think that's not a good thing. Uh, what I was saying before the show began uh, was that I, what I would say on this is, quite frankly, the punishment ought to be severe for child sex offenders. I think the death penalty ought to be brought into force rather than let them out into the public and then let everyone know who they are. I mean, this seems to me then uh, to basically break the whole legal system. Somebody who has served a, a crime and is released into the public, well, then they should actually have served their time. If they haven't served their time, then uh, then clearly there needs to be a harsher law, but not once they're out-released into the public. That seems to me a, a serious problem in terms of policy. Just before I uh, throw it over to Justin, I'm curious now, from a Christian standpoint, because you are a Christian minister, I mean, the idea of forgiveness uh, and these kinds of things enter into the equation. Uh, and the sanctity of life. Well, yeah, all right. Since I just, you brought up the death penalty. just wanted to ask you and challenge you on that premise. I mean, if uh, somebody does, after committing this heinous act or series of acts, show remorse, contrition, and all the rest, is there ever a point at which they can have their lives reinstated in good standing? Well, it depends on the nature of the crime, of course. If it's a capital offense, then uh, it's, it's eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. There is a, there's a, uh, in terms of justice being done, that is the means of justice. The person can repent. Christians believe there is life after death. So repentance is always a possibility and the possibility of eternal life. But in terms of actually bringing about justice, then there needs to be um, 
for a life, a life will be taken. It has been ever thus, and that prevent, hold, hold on, and that prevent that prevents <laughs> a that prevents the the growth of lawlessness, which we see currently in I our day. Precisely because there is no justice system. Vigilantism system and produce more lawlessness in our society. I mean, there's also the saying that uh, uh, a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye, leads to everybody being blind. I can't don't even know what that. I don't even know what that means, but but. Uh, the, I think uh, it an means eye for that, an eye for that kind for of justice is, is barbaric, is a, and there's a reason why we don't practice it anymore. No, the reason that, that the what's eye, your justification <clears throat> for that kind of okay? Well, the the reason that the law has, has been justice. held to by justice systems for millennia up until the modern period is precisely because it's a restraint on vigilantism, which is that you killed my daughter, I'm going to kill your daughter and your mother, and so on and so on. It, it, it expands it into... But it's so easily abused by the government <laughs> when they have that supreme kind of authority. It's not, the, it's not the government, it's the legal, it's the legal system. And the legal against your legal system. I think there's a reason why in our modern system we've moved to other kinds of approaches to justice. Our modern system doesn't believe in justice at all, Justin. The idea of locking people away so that they can't be a danger to themselves and society? You you don't agree with those principles behind our modern legal system? No, I have a problem with the whole penitentiary system, actually. I think it's problematic. I think depriving people of their liberty uh, on certain offenses is absolutely absurd. And in fact, they get worse when they're put in the prison. Other offenses is justifiable? I think, as I say, when if a life is taken, then a life should be forfeit, and I think that there's a it's such a, a blunt instrument. I mean, could there not be reasonable defense? You do agree with with some defenses, of yeah, course. What what is what is justice, victim, for the person who has died, Justin? What would the just be thing be for the person who has do, do you life agree has been with taken? with gradients in our uh, of course, legal system with degree, respect to murder? Of course, there's first so degree murder, second, first, second degree murder, of course. Okay. Okay, so w- where would the death penalty come in? First degree murder. Just first degree murder. Why not second degree murder? Because a life was taken. Correct, but manslaughter. A life was taken. Right, but it's not taken with the same intention, and the, and the intentionality is an aspect of the punishment that would be accorded. Nonetheless, right. y- yet uh, I was just going to say, Justin, because you did uh, sort of flag that initially by saying the sanctity of life uh, as a Christian pastor somehow uh, you betrayed that ethos. That's what Justin believes. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm floored to hear you say that. That's all because when we've debated, say, abortion, I mean, you're you're very much uh, in favor of protecting abortion what, is murder. What, what you see as Correct. as the sanctity of life, right? And we're not debating that right now, but we are debating an instance where you're saying the state. The state is justified sometimes in taking the life of, of citizens. The state is not justified. The legal system is. And the state, for me, the judiciary and the, uh, and the executive branch are separate powers for a reason. The problem in modern, uh, the modern state is that the state and the legal start to uh, collate together and effectively interfere in one another's affairs. For instance, this policy, I think, is an interference into the legal system by the political powers. I have problems with it, the ones that I articulated at the outset. And the, but in the, the Canadian, Canadian context and in many other Western countries, elected officials uh, nominate and or appoint judges, mm. prosecutors, mm. Uh, Supreme Court justices. Yeah, so how can you problem- say that there is a division between you know, these different powers of the state. I mean, yes, I understand. Well, I find in interesting theory, to hear are, you say that because they have separate mandates. However, there's clearly an, an interaction. You, you can't say the judiciary isn't 
an aspect of, of the government apparatus of the state. No, increasingly it is so precisely because it's an unrestrained judiciary does not hold itself to the to the law of God and and therefore ta- ah, thinks that the that, and therefore okay. thinks that the law is something that they create and then they can progress in areas that they think are progressive. So, in, All right, so, so just so talk, I'm clear on this sure. one, what you're saying, Scott, is effectively if uh, somebody takes a child's life, they God would want them to forfeit their life. If it's a it's if it's first degree murder, uh-huh. then I do think that the penalty for first degree murder is precisely that. Yes. All right. So let me get back to the central issue because it's making news this morning. Ottawa is going to make the sex offender registry available to everybody. Justin, do you have an issue with this on a privacy basis, or do you think that this is appropriate now that sex offenders would be widely known uh, to any and all who care to find out? Well, actually, up up until Scott made what I think is a uh, an off the top, uh, uh, over the top, rather comment about um, the appropriateness of capital punishment um, in in these cases. I, I think he and I actually agreed on much of this. Um, I think that there is a lot of good things in this bill as far as making data available to uh, uh, border security guards that otherwise wouldn't have it in terms of sharing data with other governments. Although I have some concerns, I don't think all governments can be trusted with this information. Uh, some governments are rather lawless themselves. Um, but in terms of making it publicly accessible, I, I agree with Scott that there are certainly concerns about uh, uh, false accusations of folks being on the list. We've seen in the case of the Canadian Registry, we do have one in Canada. I understand, although I'm not sure exactly how available that is, um, that there have been cases where people have been put on there that uh, that were falsely accused. So I'd have concerns if, if this international list was now available that, 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 that same flaw would, uh, would materialize on an international scale. And, of course, vigilantism also is a concern. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, hesitant to endorse that aspect. All right, let's see what the folks have to say. Uh, we did broach this topic earlier this morning, but we'll give you uh, another pass at it, whether or not you believe uh, sex offenders are so repugnant to our sensibilities that it's necessary to out them publicly and uh, put them on a registry that everybody can access would be available, like a website. And uh, it's not just law enforcement now that would have access. And in fact, to uh, Justin's point, some people believe that not all crimes on the sex offender registry are in fact equal or uh, equal in impact or weight. And therefore, some people might actually uh, be persecuted unfairly. Even Scott suggesting it could lead to vigilantism. You Hmm. favor this, yes or no? Let's see what the folks have to say. The culture war is back. And these reforms will also take into account our responsibilities to protect children everywhere. Stephen Harper yesterday, and so this is going to be proposed from the throne speech come October, and uh, they'll hope to enact it in law uh, that would protect children against predators. What are they calling it? The uh, Child Predators Act, or the Tougher Penalties for Child Predators Act, actually. Now, uh, when we talk about this public registry, uh, I do want to issue you know, uh, a clarification, because it's supposedly uh, going to be uh, for high-risk child sex offenders. And how will uh, that be determined? I'm not entirely sure. But, you know, uh, Justin, your buddy Richard Dawkins, he the sort of, uh, what, he's the poster boy for atheism and uh, having outraged uh, believers by writing a book, God is Not Great. Uh, he came out recently in an inter- interview with The Times, and he talked about his own sexual abuse as a child, where he said there were no long-lasting effects. In fact, he... Uh, labeled it mild pedophilia and said it ought not to be condemned in the same way that serious cases of pedophilia involving rape and even murder are. And because we attach the label pedophilia to the same things when they're just mild touching up, we must be aware of lumping all pedophiles into the same bracket. Wow. uh, Care to defend where he's coming from? 
no, I have no interest or necessity in defending his comments. Um, I, I don't consider him a buddy, and even if I did, I'm, <laughs> I'm quite welcome to uh, to criticize and frequently do my my friends and buddies when they say ridiculous things. Um, uh, but I find the the conflation interesting that that's come largely from the media and from. Uh, theological critics of Dawkins. I mean, Dawkins is also an evolutionary biologist from Oxford University. Um, but to suggest that somehow uh, his comments speak poorly of Oxford University or all evolutionary biologists or all English people, I mean, that would be ridiculous. Similarly, there's no sense in which his comments reflect atheism. This was in his personal memoirs, and I think that context has been overlooked. He's also issued an apology. You, you know, you can disagree with him, his original comments, and his apology. I, I don't see any reason, because we both have a similar position on the existence or non-existence of God, um, that, uh, that therefore uh, his opinion on, uh, on a personal matter that happened to him many years ago reflects poorly on his theological position. So that's all I can really say. I'm not, I'm not going to try to defend his comments because I, I don't think they are defensible. All right. You know, as uh, we're talking about Dawkins and atheism and theological positions, uh, let me dovetail with something that came across the wire in the last couple of days where, uh, according to uh, theologians in the Catholic Church, uh, and this comes from the Most High, the Pope, uh, the Catholic Church is now saying that people can come uh, or can get into heaven. Even atheists can get into heaven. Guys like Dawkins can repent or, at the end of the day, see the light and still make it into heaven. The Catholic Church is basically saying there are people through, who, through grace, can come through. Whether or not it's through Jesus. I'm asking you, Scott Masson, I mean, uh, that might just fly in the face of your own uh religious or ideological underpinnings. I mean, you don't have to find the way through Jesus. Atheists can even, if they come through uh, in a state of grace and uh, finally admit that they've been wrong all along, they too can get to heaven. Do you believe that? Well, I think when the Pope speaks on this, I wonder uh, in what capacity he is speaking. Um, He certainly uh, contradicts what Scripture says about this, which is that there is no salvation except through Jesus Christ. Um, So when he speaks on this, I, I... think that he, first of all, he's flat wrong if uh, he's saying what he is saying in terms of his own doctrine. He's placed himself above scripture on this, in which case he's teaching falsely on this. However, there is a problem with this uh, insofar as what he says, uh, um, more or less is is what is said in Vatican II. So this is a serious problem in terms of Catholic doctrine on this, and he's dialing back to something that has been largely set aside over the past 50 years because they've ignored Vatican II. But more or less, this was the position articulated mm-hmm. there, is that that individual conscience is the matter of salvation. I think this is a clear contradiction of the Christian faith and must be said as such. Yeah, I just want to pick up on that issue of conscience. Um, what was more um, interesting or more hopeful to me than, than the comment about going to heaven, which is really neither here nor there uh, to me as an atheist, <coughs> is, is his more recent comments where he said that if an atheist follows their conscience, um, they can they can do good. They, that, that 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 an atheist does good when they follow their 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 conscience. That you don't need to necessarily be a believer or following a religious kind of conscience uh, to be a good person. And for me, the existence of God isn't as important a debate as uh, a debates about 
re- uh, relationships between morality and religion. Right, and that's and, precisely the issue here and why people are so, are so troubled by the Pope's statement is that he has the atheists on side and he contradicts his own faith. So he, <laughs> the atheist thinks what he's saying well, is he, wonderful, but, the, mm-hmm. but scriptures say that there's no one good but God alone, and God declares what is good, and therefore we have no access through our own intra-psychic ideas of what is right and wrong. Take Richard Dawkins, for instance, who thinks that mild pedophilia is all right. It's not actually um, what he said. Um, yeah, he did actually said mild pedophilia should not be condemned. He's defended mild pedophilia. No, you're, you're, and, uh, and, and again, I'm not defending what he said. But no, I'm you're also not, not going to defend, you know, misconstruing what anybody says, and that's not what he said. Um, uh, but to your other point, uh, I think if the Pope wants to build a bridge with non-believers who are a growing force in the world, Jesus Christ is the bridge. If he wants to build a practical bridge that will actually be effective, then he's going to try to reach out in in a way that preserves the integrity of his Catholic tradition. And I think he's doing a fairly good job. Now, these are just words. I'd like to see action taken on dealing with the sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church, uh, dealing with issues to do with homophobia. That, I think, will be a better... Well, let me a, a ask better... you, because it seems like uh, what I'm reading uh, and getting from the Pope, uh, if the reports are correct, he seems to be taking a more political tack, as you're saying, Justin, to uh, recognize maybe a more contemporary uh, zeitgeist or whatever. Mm-hmm, yes. And Scott believes, you know, he's betraying his own dogma, but he's also hinting that the Catholic Church may someday allow priests to marry. Yep. And in fact, they uh, say it's really just a man-made construct in the Catholic Church, Absolutely and they can true. change that tomorrow by decree. Uh, Scott Masson, do you believe, you know, celibacy is a requirement? Because uh, now the intimation from the Pope and uh, the Catholic League's Bill Donahue is saying the same thing, you know, no reason why somebody can't marry. They welcome Anglicans into the fold, and they've already come with pre-existing families and wives and the rest. True. So really, uh, why not just break down this last vestige and introduce females into the priesthood? Well, and on that front, again, I hold to the same standard on this, this that the Bible does not demand uh, celibacy from those who are um, presbyters, that is, in Catholic uh, language priests. It's not a requirement. And for the first thousand years of the church's practice, it was not a requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of uh, various uh, problems in the church, it was uh, considered in, in Roman Catholicism that it ought to be in the uh, around one, year 1000. And in the, in the Protestant Reformation, this was reversed and said, no, we're going to hold ourselves to the standard of Scripture. So on this issue, I don't have a problem. But it's not because the Pope says so, it's because the Bible says so. I, I agree on much of what you've just said. I'm not a theological historian, of course, but my understanding is it was at least in part economic reasons um, to do with inheritance, property rights, um, uh, with respect to, to the church's control over church property that they wanted to uh, create more controls by by limiting um, the number of descendants of, of practicing priests. Mm. So it was not a theological uh, mm. rationale, although I understand it, it sort of became part of the, the tradition that a lot of priests were sort of voluntarily at the time you know, becoming more and more celibate. That's always a possibility, and that's not uh, that's not the issue. The no. question is whether the priesthood should be uh, kept uh, that must be celibate. That's mm-hmm. the issue. Yeah. 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 Well, and uh, the argument again is that. Hey, it's a man-made construct. It can be stricken, you know, by decree, and uh, the Catholic Church would perhaps be better served by it. Uh, that's still very much in question. But, so, a uh, statement on the on the on the uh, salvation of people who are, are unbelievers, I would say, is a man-made construct. He's come up with it himself. Point to Scripture, and you tell me where it states this. You will not find it. So, it's it is subject to the exact same 
logic that he has just said that we can overturn the celibacy of the priesthood. It's a man-made construct. It just happens to be his. All right, so he's not infallible. Most certainly not. Okay, well, we'll leave it on that note. Let's take some calls on matters discussed at this point. Sean, we'll start with you in Scarborough. Thanks for waiting. Good morning. Hi, uh, good morning. Um, there's a huge problem with um, gender discrimination in the country of India, and they just introduced a death penalty for the four, uh, four people that work for the bus company. Who, the rapists. Yeah, who Jayoti Singh was coming back from the life of Pi with her guy friend. It wasn't even her boyfriend. It took pipes and beat both of them and then gang raped her. She died of a heart attack in the hospital. During the time when they said that they were going to you know, introduce the death penalty, every single day of the week up from that point up till this day, some act of violence against a woman. And these are very gruesome acts. They're so deplorable that if even a court of it happened in Canada, you wouldn't want to live in this country. So I did a debate called India's Rape Crisis. Mm. Uh, but the point is, um, death penalty does not deter people from doing these things. Uh, a high-quality society with education at a young age will most likely uh, deter these kinds of things. So you can you know, execute all the people who commit these crimes. And there's going to be, if you live in a society where there's no gender equality, it's impossible to stop it. You know, and I'm, All right, your point is to Scott, who was saying an eye for an eye, and uh, he believes that's justice, the justice system. So what do you say, I mean, on the matter of deterrence? It's been sort of argued, debated over the years. Anything on this? Uh... The justice system is not there uh, only to deter. Deterrence is an aspect of the law. However, it's not the only aspect of the law. The chief, chief aspect of the law is justice. And justice is giving to those what they have deserved. And in, in biblical law, those who rape and murder, as you've just described, deserve that. Now, it does have some restraining effect, but it's not, it's not the uh, sort of the magic potion that's going to solve all social ills. I don't deny that at all. And uh, the, the context of India is different than the context of Canada, I would say. So let's not make the culturally relativistic argument and, and say that this is uh, impossible and unworkable. The, question, the point is, is that it's just. By the way, let me, uh, and I want to move on here because we're tight on time, but he uh, referenced women in India. How about uh, women of Indian heritage in America? Sure. Uh, Miss America was crowned just two days ago, and uh, she's of Indian descent, and yet uh, the hate fest started. In the aftermath, and a lot of uh, rather unflattering and uh, just spiteful uh, tweets along the lines of Miss Al-Qaeda, Miss 7-Eleven, and, uh, you know, those are even the, the most polite I can mention. Now, maybe that's a response to some of the heinous things perpetrated against women in India that uh, the judges felt necessary. I mean, there is that accusation being made that political correctness made uh, this particular contestant from New York Miss America as opposed to, say, uh, the prototypical American blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman from Kansas who serves in the military. Uh, you, and, and, and further to that question now, uh, that she is uh, of Indian descent uh, is being played up as maybe that part of the problem, that uh, it's a hyphenated descriptor. And because she says, look, I'm an American. I was born here in America. And uh, she's from Syracuse or studies at Syracuse. Is that maybe an issue, Justin Trottier, that the hyphenation becomes a part of the problem? Oh, yes. I don't think this is an example of gender discrimination. I think it's um, a, a hyper-attentive uh, um, fixation on identity politics, on uh, describing an individual not by their accomplishments or by what they uniquely bring to, in this case, the Miss America pageant, and will set aside the 
potential sexist um, aspects of the pageant itself. Um, and, and the focus is on, for some reason, the fact that she is an Indian American. Um, and I think they've even maybe uh, confused the public by suggesting that she grew up there, was born in India or what have you. Um, but she herself has said that she considers herself firstly an American. But, but this is just one example. Um, I mean, we're always pointing out the sexual orientation, the gender or any other attribute um, other than what I humbly submit are the important attributes that distinguish people from each other. And I think that that has definitely added to a situation that probably already had a, a, a deal of racism in it to begin with. There may be a backlash against the cultural Marxism, which is pro- uh, so rife in academia and in the public media and so forth in this contest. That may be an aspect of it. Uh, if it's simple, simply a case of racism, it's, it's repugnant. Um, but I'm not convinced that it is the case. I think people are tired of the uh, moral compromise that comes from telling lies about things that, uh, like gender and so forth, you know, being inclusive of it, about everything, not telling the truth. About so this is a backlash are, against the uh, multicult. I have no, but it could be. I mean, I, I don't know, but I can imagine it makes more sense to me than, than having some sort of racist bias against Indian people or something. I, I just don't see right, that. So again, uh, identity politics. She shouldn't be described as being Indian American. She should actually just be an American. Well, you can tell she's Indian yes. American. You look at her. She's got, in, you know, she's sure. got the color of somebody from India, I presume. I, don't, I haven't even seen the girl, so I have no right. idea what she looks like, but she presumably she looks... Indian in some respect. Let me ask you as a final point, uh, and this deals with that same kind of idea of multiculturalism. The Ontario Human Rights Commission <laughs> wants to ease the way for foreign professionals into the workplace. And, uh, you know, a lot of employers ask for a Canadian experience. They believe that's a barrier to uh, full employment for folks from foreign lands, especially professionals. And uh, they want that stricken from uh, any kind of a, a requirement. You can't ask for Canadian experience. Uh, puts them in a bind. You know, they can't get it if they, uh, they or can't have it if they can't get into the workplace. Let me ask Justin Trotche, do you think that uh, this is something that needs to be stricken down? Well, what we need is a balance between removing uh, genuine discrimination against uh, immigrants to Canada and protecting the safety and security of Canadians. And I think, though, that that balance does need to be... Um, uh, does need to swing in the direction of, of safety and security. I think that's got to be our, our, our first priority. And my concern here is that the Ontario Human Rights Commission, it, its mandate is to look at discrimination, but it doesn't always appreciate that there are other factors at play here. And they are legislating or they are attempting to make uh, binding recommendations on government and regulatory bodies who have different mandates, who have a mandate of, of looking at Canadian security um, and, um, and safety considerations. And so I'm a little bit concerned that maybe we need to have a conversation that brings both size to the table and finds that balanced approach. I don't think this does it. I think this is too blunt an instrument. It doesn't come with very meaningful recommendations or mechanisms uh, for dealing with genuine discrimination. All right, Scott, anything racist or discriminatory uh, when an employer asks for Canadian experience? No, it's entirely commonsensical. The Human Rights Tribunal should be abolished, in my view. Um, But in in this case, uh, I mean, look, just because you have a qualification that will say you're an engineer from some country doesn't mean that the practices of that country don't tend to fudge on certain issues that we would say you can't fudge on that. And that's why your buildings fall down. I don't care if you've got the degree. So uh, it's not a question of all, uh, you know, I've got the degree, my country awards that. Well, so what? 
uh, different cultures in different countries, there's a reason why there's social chaos and they don't work. And it's because of their theological presuppositions, I'm sorry on this. Canadian culture is the product of a truth culture, and the reason it's a truth culture is God himself is true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And Canadian culture, that's the basic culture. There's an assumption that people are being truthful, and that's why society works. That's why people want to come here and don't want to go to Iraq or Iran or whatever. All right, so the Ontario Human Rights Commission is another example. It's a cultural Marxist Cultural Marxism, all right. Uh, A cultural Marxist talk shop. I have no comment on that. (laughs) That's, (laughs) I like the way that's phrased. Uh, We'll leave on that note. Thank you both, Dr. Scott Masson, Associate Pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trache, Spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. We'll do it again real soon. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.